I have a verse of scripture I want to read at the beginning of this. I've, again, down through the weeks, I've asked for prayer because, uh, you know, we all have different backgrounds, what we've been taught, what's been preached at us. And so, uh, again, with today, we're, the last two weeks, although we've covered a lot, has been very much preparatory uh, for, for this week. And, of course, we got next week also, too. So I just wanted to set the table on all of this, and you don't need to turn to it right now. But uh, in your scriptures, if you don't want to be turning to something, you could be turning to Ezekiel 36. We'll get to it eventually. But here in the book of Job, after Job has gone through all his statements and the friends, beginning in chapter 38, God answers and says to Job, I'm going to talk with you and you're going to you know, stand up and you're going to listen. Here's the verse, verse 36. And I think about it as I'm standing up here. It's a rhetorical question. God says, who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the heart? And the rhetorical answer to that is, only the Lord. Only the Lord. So, if you hear me say something that sounds biblical, or sounds halfway intelligent, or sounds like it has some understanding, if you realize that it doesn't come from me, but only as mercifully by God's grace passing through me, can you say amen? amen. Oh, I stopped that. No, you got to really shout it out. Say amen. amen. Now, that sounds like something more that I can say thanks a lot. Okay, but it's true. It's true. I just want to make sure we have that in place. Uh, something else got to be a little bit different, and that is because of the nature of this and the time, I'm going to read these verses. I'm going to go through this. Hopefully have some time at the end for questions or comments. And then also, if you have a question or a comment based on this, and we just for some reason don't get to it, hold on to it, because next week is going to be the last week. Please bring it up then. But uh, let's look at our handout, and you say, wow, how am I supposed to read this? We're going to walk through this. There's a line that goes right down through the middle of the page, and the two columns to the left of this flow chart has where we've already been. So we're not going to cover that. Uh, the first column decides and determines that information there. That was the first week. Last week, God makes demands of the dead. That line there. That's all been preparation. On that line going down through the middle of the page, we're now going over to that right side. And so you can just kind of, you know, kind of take a peek at this as I'm sharing with you this morning. And we're going to get into this heart. You may remember... We're talking about salvation. And from the very first week, I said there's been this animosity, this debate, this controversy between two schools of theological thought, popularly known as Calvinism and Arminianism. And, uh, but here's what I want to say about that. Both Calvin and Arminius lived in the 1500s. You said that was a long time ago. Yes, it was, but not in the sense of the New Testament. Some of the, reading, you know, the, the, the writings in this book in the New Testament, let alone the Old Testament, go back thousands of years. So what I want to say is when we look at a, a verse or a passage, sometimes in theological perspective, someone would say, well, that's a verse that a Calvinist would lean towards. Or, yeah, that's a verse that kind of supports the Arminian view of things. I would like to say that if we find something that is the truth, it wasn't brought to us by Calvin or Arminius. It was brought to us by the Holy Spirit of God. All right? So that's where we're going to be on this. I want to know as we go down through the list of, remember what we've said from the very get-go, in order for salvation to take place, if you're here today and you say, I, I know that Jesus is my Savior, and I am confident that when I pass from this world, I will go immediately to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. If you have that peace of mind, all right, then it's because of the fact that God's been at work. And he's been putting this together. And he knew how he was going to do it before there was ever an earth or a universe or people. I want you to know, as you look up the top there, is that when these things happen, and I, as we go, I'm going to go across, starting over here, and just give a sequence. 
because all this happens in your life on the day that you were saved. Now, you don't have to have a date. Some people say, well, I don't have a date. I don't remember exactly when. That's okay. What's important that you know what you believe right now, that you understand you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, your good works had nothing to do with it, your baptism, your good works, all that stuff. You know the truth, and if you know the truth, you know the Lord. Well, there's some people who can know the truth and not know the Lord, but I'm trying to say within yourself, okay, you have that peace and that security. All that happened instantaneously, just like that. You know, we always talk about the rapture of happening, what, in the twinkling of an eye? On the day that you were saved, God the Holy Spirit was working on you and, and doing the work that, as we said, only God can do. God must do what only he can do. And if for some reason God would say, eh, I've decided I'm not going to do that anymore for them, then you and I go to hell. And also God says, he's going to do, remember the man with the withered hand. I will do for this man what he cannot do for himself. But once he healed the hand, he said to the man, now you, it's your hand, not mine. You stretch forth your hand. God demands, God requires. God says to each and every one of us on the day that we were saved, I've done for you all that needs to be done. Now you, Earl Burkhart, you must do what I require you to do. And if I refuse to do that, I'm on my way to the lake of fire. It's not God's fault. If anybody goes to hell, lake of fire, it's not, not God's fault. Don't point your finger. Just look in the mirror and you're going to find there's your biggest problem looking right back at you. But there is a theological order in all of this. So let's just look at this first column of today's topic, that God indeed delivers the dead. And that's why he made demands of the dead. We said in the first Sunday all the things that went wrong, when we get to Genesis 3 and 15, God always knew that even, even though everything had gone wrong, he was going to make all things right. All the things that had been corrupted, he was going to renew, and he was going to make all things new. We talked about Revelation chapter 21. So let's just look at this, <clears throat> and I've asked you to turn uh, to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, and some of this stuff, I'm going to deal with it today, but I'm going to deal with it next week. You have two columns there under delivers the dead. Within this bigger column, you have the left-hand column, and this is what God must do and what God has done. God has chosen, and then over on our side, there needs to be a change made. So here it is. When God is chosen, when God calls, that means God is delivering us, and man must decide, male and female, what are we going to do about this? What is our response going to be? He chooses us, but it doesn't mean much if we do not choose him. And this is not Calvinism and Arminianism coming together, although that's where those systems might touch. But as we said one more time, it's the truth of the 66 books of the inspired word of God. It's God who's given all the truth through the Holy Spirit. Now, what is the word, the word, that says that God has done what he needed to do? Right below there. He regenerates us. Now there's this 50-cent word, okay? Polygenesia. Polygenesia. It appears in Scripture a couple of times. Pollen, again. Genesia, birth. Again born. Twice born, reborn. Now, there's a word, I'm, anytime I stop you on the street corner, I'm going to say, hey, what's that word that, uh, in the Greek that means genesia or means, means regeneration? You're going to know it, and I'm going to help you, okay? You ready for this little thing? Then we're going to get real serious. We live in the state of Indiana. How many of you knew that there's a town in Indiana, a little town called Genesia? Have you ever heard of that town, Genesia? No, that's because it's not there, but we're going to pretend, okay? <laughs> there's a town called Genesia. And people say, I never heard of Genesia, Genesia, Indiana. Yeah, Genesia, Indiana. You know, yeah, I've never heard of it. Do you know anybody in Genesia, Indiana? Yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. I have a pal in Genesia. There you've got it, ladies and gentlemen. Give me a round of Forget about it. Okay, you've got a pal in Genesia. As long as you can remember that you've got a pal in Genesia, you've suddenly become a Greek scholar. Okay, pal in Genesia. It means that God has done what only he can do. And here it is in just plain English. You were dead, and he made us alive. Anybody else pull that off? Nobody. Nobody. Palingenesia. God took something that was dead, 
and he made us alive. And that's what only he can do, and that's what he does. Now, let's just look at some of these verses. Now, the other words that mean the same thing as regenerate or palingenesia are the words quicken, make alive, or born again. So I ask you to turn to Ezekiel chapter 36. And after we go to this one, we're going to go over to Titus because these verses line up with each other. The prophet Ezekiel lived in the uh, 6th century B.C. I want you to get on to verse 25, 26, and 27. So here we go. God is talking to his people. He said this through Ezekiel. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will give you a an heart of flesh. Take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall uh, keep my judgments and do them. Now, just so you know this, you don't see the word here, but what he is saying here, what he's doing is the word palingenesia. It's the same word as quicken in our King James. It means make alive. It means to be born again. Same word, same thing. And you notice, as we're going through here, you notice in this, you don't play a role in this. I'll read a little bit here in just a little bit. This idea of being born again, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but you play no role in being born again. You say, now wait just a minute. No, hang on, I'll, I'll show you. You and I play no role whatsoever. We are passive when it comes to be, being born again. Let's look at, uh, I said Titus 3.5. Go there if you will, please. I am absolutely positively certain that when the Apostle Paul was writing this book of Titus and he got to this portion, he was thinking about Ezekiel 36, because the idea is the same. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a scholar. I wouldn't doubt if Paul had memorized the Jewish scripture. But you know this verse very well, more so from Titus 3 than you do know from Ezekiel. But you're there in Titus 3, verse 5. Paul said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul is affirming, just like we read Ezekiel over in chapter 36, Paul is saying, by the washing of regeneration, by the new birth, you are going to have your sin forgiven. By the new birth, I've regenerated you. And because of that, You are being cleansed. All your sin is washed away. All your sin is forgiven. So I want you just to see right there again, and we're going to look at some more verses, that this word, palingenesa, starts, it's the first thing. I'm going to give you some R words. The first one is regeneration. In your salvation, the first thing that must happen is you must be made alive. We've been going hot and heavy on the last two weeks about reading verses and passages that we are spiritually dead. And I know I've said it many times, but I, I just keep repeating it because I just want it to really sink into you. If you are spiritually dead, there is nothing you can do. So the very first thing God has to do, because... I'm just, I hear confusion with, not necessarily you folks, but out there in Christianity there's some confusion. Regeneration is the first thing. God made you alive. Now let me just say this again. Be like, hope all of us here are Bereans today. We're noble. And that is, being born again is not synonymous with the word salvation. Now we put them together. They're instantaneous. But theologically, regeneration is the first step. Being born again is not the same as salvation. Let's look at another verse. Go with me, if you will, please, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 
Now, we're not going to read all through all these passages in Ephesus, but again, if you read Ephesus chapter 1 into Ephesus, the Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it's very clear that God is doing a work, and we as human beings are passive in all of this. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I want to be honest. Do you notice something about those words, hath he quickened, in verse 1? They're in italics, aren't they? So in the Greek manuscripts, hath he quickened does not appear. You say, well, <laughs> that's important. So well, why is it provided? Because down in verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Different word, Old English, so since it's actually in verse 5, the translators do no damage to the passage by saying, well, he's talking about being quickened here. So it legitimately belongs in that first verse of chapter 2. And you hath he quickened. It was not a joint effort. It wasn't some cooperative effort. God does not say in this way, well, I've done all I can do to make you born again. I've done all I can do to quicken you, to make you alive. Now you've got to do the rest. No. That's solely of God. And why does he say it? And you hath he quickened, and he answers the question right there. Look at the next part of verse 1. Who were dead in trespasses and sin? I mean, if you was to say, well, where's my part? Where do I fit in in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1? Nowhere. That's why he had to do it for you. Because we were dead in trespasses and sin. Now move on. Verse 5, let's look at it again. Even when we were dead, I don't know how God could be more clear. Even when we were dead in sins, he was active because he quickened us. He made us alive. He caused us to be born again. He did for us what we could not do. Together with Christ, by grace, ye are saved. And grace, G-R-A-C-E, you've probably heard this, God's riches at Christ's expense. We have been the recipients of the wonderful grace of God. How much of the grace did I provide? Zip, zero, nada. Now the one I love for the last of this portion of being the idea of palingenesia. Let's turn to the book of Acts chapter 16, verse 14. To me, this is the cherry on the cupcake. And I'm going to say something bold here, and I, again, forgive me if it's your background or how you've been trained, but I want to say it. If anybody wants to say to you that you must repent and you must receive Jesus Christ, and after you've done that, then you'll be born again. A lot of people, that's been taught, that's been trained. But before the Lord in all humility, I tell you, my brothers and sisters, that nowhere appears in the Bible. Nowhere. There's no way you can repent. There's no way you can receive Christ until you're first made spiritually alive. That's just a fact. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. There's this lady here. I have a special love for her name's Lydia. Look in verse 14. What a wonderful verse because it, it confirms again in the word of God the order of things. Not just what God does, but the, the order of it. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us. She, she was listening. She was listening. But notice these words. Whose heart the Lord opened. Can anyone say palingenesia? He opened her heart. That's just another way of saying he had her be born again. He regenerated her. He opened her heart. He quickened her. That's what he did. He did what he had to do. And Paul understands this. Paul's writing this. He was the one preaching the gospel. Whose heart the Lord opened. Why would God need to do that? So that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, right in there in the beginning of verse 15, she was spiritually dead, but at that moment, at God's choosing, at God's perfect, precise moment, the Holy Spirit came in and regenerated her heart, 
opened her mind, and based on that, she immediately understood and saw her need and attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. What would have been spoken of by Paul? The gospel. God loves you. But there's a, there's a problem. You're, you're a sinner. You're separated from God. But God in his love provided a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came and died upon Calvary's tree. And he died in our place. It's a substitutionary atonement. And now those great three things are true. He loved you, but he cannot love you and know you now because you're in sin, but he sent the Savior. There's the gospel. Three, no. That's a major, there's the fourth point. You must personally receive Jesus Christ. You must repent of your sin. Only after, yeah, God's done everything he can do, but now God looks back at you and he says, what are you going to say, Earl Burkheim? There was a day in April of 1975, God regenerated my heart. In all my life, the things of the Bible, the things of the gospel, I couldn't understand them. It was all like, like static. And on that day, just all of a sudden, I saw it. And I started crying. I don't remember all the words, but what I was doing, I was telling God, I'm sorry. Please, guide down the hall and knew Jesus Christ. I wanted to be Lonnie Crenshaw. Said, Lonnie, what is it about you? What you got, I need. And he says, you go back and you, what you just told me, you, you yell it out. You cried out to, to God. And that day I just said to her, I says, I don't know what Lonnie's got. I, this thing he's talking about, born again, saved. But Lord, I said, I am so sick and tired of making promises to you to be a better person, to go to church more, to receive the sacraments more. And I'm acting a little bit holy for a while, but then I'll, oh, ultimately, I'll always go right back being the older old Burkhead. I don't want to play games anymore. God, what do I want to do? And I, re- I ask Jesus to be my Savior. And there they meet. I could have said none of that. I could have never understood one word of that had God not made me spiritually alive. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters here today, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ, you had to be regenerated first. You'd be like, if, if we were not regenerated, people would talk to us about the gospel and Jesus, we'd be like a bunch of goose in a hailstorm. We'd be walking around, but we'd say, what's going on? We would not know. Have you ever seen a goose in a hailstorm? I have not, but it's a good illustration. Yeah. Now, God does what only he and must do. If not, we're dead. Now let's go over to the other side. He regenerates us. Look at the page. We've got the arrow coming down there. Now we go. We respond to him. Let's turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Jesus said something here. I I really don't know if it's very important or not, but we'll take a look at it anyway. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 2 through 5. This is Jesus answering, said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He sounds rather serious about this. He told us the truth. He said to Earl, he says to everybody in this room, listen, I've regenerated you. My son died on the cross for you. Risen in glory. Everything has been set up for you. The spotlight is now on us. Will you repent? And we do. Talk about that a little bit later on. Somebody asked me last week, I'm not going to tell you his name, but it's Hank back there. Anyway. Uh, when God regenerates us and we're born again, is there going to be a person that says, no, I'm still not going to repent, I'm still not going to receive Jesus? No. No, 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 no. Let me give you an illustration very quickly. It's about 99 degrees out. Humidity's on the charts. The sun is setting on your shoulder. You've mowed the grass. 
and you're like thirsty, and you walk in the house, your mouth feels like the Sahara Desert, and someone sets a big tumbler of cold water in front of you. And here's what I say. You know what? I know you don't want this water, but I'm going to use all my power and might to force you to drink it anyway. Think that's what's going to happen? You're going to set down that tumbler of ice water right in front of you, and you're going to look at it, and you're going to go, oh, fantastic. You're just going to grab it, and you're going to drink it right. It tastes so good. Best thing you ever drank. Why? See, there's this, this whole idea of understand when God does what he's going to do, your eyes are finally open. Your spirit has been regenerated. You are finally, at last, alive. The only reason you resisted and would not come was because you were dead. But once you're made spiritually alive, you don't have to be forced. They talk about a word, irresistible grace. I'll tell you about why the grace is irresistible. Because to that moment, that day, Jesus Christ was irresistible to us. How many of you have been born again and later on you said, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. That makes me mad that God forced himself on me, caused me to be born again. Hey, if I want to be born again, I'll ask him. You know, stop, force it. No. There's not a person who's ever been regenerated that we do not, with gratitude for all eternity, with tears in our eyes, thank you, thank you, thank you for saving me. Thank you for doing, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you. And for all eternity, we will praise him and we will never stop giving thanks because we're just going to be so grateful for all eternity. So when a person is regenerated, is it, well, will they repent? Yes. Because it makes absolutely, like with Lydia there, God opened her heart. And Lydia was kind of like, she is listening to this. And all of a sudden, it's like, turn the switch on. And it says she attended to the things that Paul was speaking about. Can we just put it in another language? She became saved. She told this Jesus that she knew that she was a sinner. And she asked this Jesus, who Paul was talking about, to please come into her very life, forgive her sins, and to be a savior. That's the way it always happens. Now, the other thing then is, Acts chapter 16, we did the repent thing. Let's go over to Acts chapter 16. Now, Jesus was speaking, and this is Paul. I mean, so, well, who's Paul? But anyway, we'll read it anyway. Acts chapter 16. Nope. Same chapter. We're in the same chapter, aren't we? Yeah. We're also turned to Acts chapter 16. Hey, Dunderhead, where do you think we are? Okay. Verses 30 and 31. Here's the situation about the Philippian jailer. There's been the earthquake. You know the story, you've probably heard it back there. If you were the jailer, if you were a guard and you lost your prisoner, then you lost your own life. That kind of motivated you to do a good job. So after, I'm going to begin in verse 39. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and he fell down before Paulus and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, become a member of St. Anthony's and get baptized soon. No. And they said, You, sir, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Receive him, believe on him, trust in him. All those words place faith, F A I T H, forsaking all. I trust him. Isn't that what's happened to us? All that religious mumbo-bumbo, I don't know where you came from, mumbo-jumbo, whatever it is. But once you are regenerated, hear what there? Regenerated, repent, receive. And then there's one more we're going to be going to, receive Christ. Now, after we were regenerated, here's what we did. Our hearts were opened, and immediately we saw the need... We couldn't rush to Jesus Christ fast enough. We, we repented of our sin, and we received Jesus as Savior. Now, the final passage I want to turn to, and I'm going to walk through it with you, is 1 Corinthians. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this same Paul on a missionary journey, and I'm just going to read and walk through. 
all this stuff we've been talking about, he touches upon. But a lot of times when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, even though we're reading these things, it doesn't necessarily click. I'd like to read it in a way right now that hopefully that uh, we, we'll see it in the context of what we're talking about right now. The idea of salvation happens instantaneously. God initiates it. God does what only he can do, but we have to do what we must do. All right. I'm going to kind of comment as I read. Here we go. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross... It's the gospel. It's the good news. That's what Paul's doing. What, what is the message that lost people need to hear? Do they need to have a discussion between, you know, Calvinists? No. The lost person needs to be saved. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. All right? Now, do you remember in chapter 2, down at verse 14, pastor's been using this verse, and we're going to Look at, just go over there for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in this same book, verse 14. says, but the natural man, that would be the unbeliever, the lost man, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now that verse was read last week in this class to again build on the idea that we're spiritually dead. The natural, unsaved, unbelieving individual. So now Paul is using this same word. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish, it sounds like foolishness to them. They think it's silly. But unto us which are saved, those of us who repent and come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, it is the power of God. It is the palingenesia. What is the power that God uses in order that you and I can be here this morning? Again, it's the power to take someone who is absolutely spiritually dead and by his power make us spiritually alive. That is, that's the power. Verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. In other words, the people who are, you know, the pretty powerful people that are on Time Magazine, they're on the, the cover of People, they're, they're all the important people. Those kind of people. He says, and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? I've had a, uh, I read a book by, uh, a little booklet, by the leading so-called Christian denomination in the world. Again, I've always been, don't mention names, but they're big over in Vatican City. Okay, for after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of the gospel of preaching. Now, here's our responsibility to save them that believe. So we've got, he makes us alive, that's regeneration. And then Paul says, but remember why I'm out on the road. I remember Lydia, I'm here in Corinth. You must respond that's your responsibility. God demands of you. He doesn't request it. God commands people all over the world, Paul said to the Greeks in Athens, that we repent and we receive him. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. You know, the intelligent, smart people of the world. But unto them which are called which God has come to, because he initiates, he has to start it. We don't come to him, he comes to us. Both Jews and Greeks, the power of God, there you go again, the power to make the dead alive, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now here's what I want to share with you again, and I don't know where you stand on this, but I, I want to, this Sunday and next Sunday, talk to this. Notice in verse 27 and down through verse 28, these words, chosen, and uh, called. Verse 26 says the calling. Verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, the things which are not, 
to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Now here's what I want to say to you, and I'm just, from my heart to your heart. These words, calling and chosen, I didn't come up with these words. Pastor didn't come up with these words. Okay? John Calvin didn't come up with these words, nor did Jacob Arminius. These words were written maybe by a man by the name of Tertius. I, we do not know, but I know in the Romans, Tertius is Paul's Emanuensis. He's his personal secretary. So maybe Tertius wrote these words. Paul dictated these words. He spoke them. But the true author is the Holy Spirit. You and I must agree on this. I'm sorry, but I don't want to be pushy, but we must agree on this. The words calling and chosen are in here. Oh, and I'm going to get into this next week. I think the problem is, and I have to move on, but I think the problem is for a lot of people, when they hear the words calling or chosen or selected or something like that, it sounds like, and maybe you've read some things where it says like, God is, is, is sort of forcing himself on people. He's, he's, he's making them do something. He's, he's sort of uh, taking them over so they're pat and everything like that. No, 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 no. That's not what those words mean. That's all I'm going to tell you for right now. The problem isn't with the words, it's what we do with them. Why did he call? Why did he choose? I will say one thing right now that I move on. The reason why he had to call and, he, and he, he had to call and he had to choose was because we were dead. So don't let the words call and choose frighten you. They're biblical words. Paul wrote them by the power of the Holy Spirit, so they must be true. What we need to answer is what does it mean? But those words are in there. Hope, you, hope you're okay with that. Now, the last thing we come to in verse 30 and verse 31. Let's just say from the very get-go. Those of you who were here three weeks ago, what was the prohibition? Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of that tree you shall surely die. That's the worst thing. That was the curse. We're dead towards God. We're separated. Our sin has separated us from him. We don't know him. We have no relationship. We don't have any fellowship with him. It's gone. And it's our fault. So, there is no way that we, as a human race, can do that very basic thing that he demanded of Adam and Eve, and he demands of us. He demands of us that we obey him, and he demands, there's the word, he demands that we keep his law so that he will be glorified, and it's the best thing for us. It's the best thing for us when we do what God tells us to do. We get in trouble when we don't do what God tells us to do. So it's that, and he receives the glory. Now, so we're in trouble. They get kicked out of the garden, and we go through all these thousands of years. But listen, when God regenerates, and we repent, and we receive, look at verse 30, because this brings us to this last column of the divine design. If you notice, over on this, this thing I've passed out, over on the left-hand side, we're in trouble. We're dead. The second column, we are corrupt. But what we see here in 1 uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 1, let's look at that last column. I'll comment. Now we are complete. Here's the key. We reside in Christ. We're no longer, on, we're no longer by ourselves. We are, here's your next R word, righteous, regenerated, repent, receive, righteous. Yes, we're righteous in ourselves because now we've become such holy, holy. No, 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 no. We're not righteous in ourselves. Where's the only place we're righteous at, folks? We're righteous in Christ. Jesus, yeah. That's the only place where we're going to be found righteous. When I stand before God, not for salvation, because we're saved, but the whole idea is the reason why God's going to welcome me home is because he doesn't see Earl. He sees Earl in Christ. And that's the way he's going to see you if you're born again. Now that word righteous is a, there's a, another term, and we're not going to look at it right now, but righteous means we are justified. Now we finally have been made right in God's eyes. Having been justified in Christ, we are now justified where we have peace with God. 
because we're in there. So you see, we, we come across this flow chart from the creation to corruption to God chooses us. We have to be changed. We have to decide. And then finally, look at that verse. Verse 30, Paul's put it down. He's got to put it in there. But of him ye are in Christ. That's crucial. That's necessary. Brothers and sisters, we, when you say, well, I'm born again, I'm saved and everything, what does that mean? It means you're in Christ. Is there any way you can be born again, regenerated, saved, all that stuff, if you're not justified in Christ? No. And because of this, look, look what the benefit is. Jesus, who of God is made unto us, now we've been regenerated, we understand, now we can know wisdom. Now we are righteous, we have righteousness, and we are progressing in Jesus Christ, sanctification, hopefully more and more in his image and likeness and holiness, and redemption. Now the final total redemption, we sing the song, we have been redeemed. But as long as we can still sin, and we still can, we've not yet been 100% redeemed. When we die, or we're raptured, and we're changed, and our spirit goes to be with him, our body goes into the ground and decays. But one day we're going to hear that trumpet and our body's going to be gloriously glorified and we're going to go. And on that day, we will be totally, perfectly where we're supposed to be. Where God has all, always designed it that way. Revine, we'll have the divine uh, design. So, got about 10 minutes. Wanted to share that with you. Anybody got comments or questions? It's open season. Back to Hank. Well, there's a passage in the scripture, many are called and few are chosen. There is a calling based on this, and this is what we talk about, for whom did Christ die? The atonement. Every sin had to be paid. I'm, answer, I'm coming back, but every sin had to be paid for. Not just, not just your sin, but of all people, the sinners who will never receive Christ, who will end up in the lake of fire, their sin, like ours, is an affront to a holy God. So when Jesus came into the world and he died on the cross, there was the blood applied for everyone. Everybody's sin was paid for. That's another reason why the lost have no excuse. No excuse whatsoever. So there is that general sense, like you said, a calling. And also, remember when Paul is in Acts and he's talking to the Greeks, he said these words, you've got all these statues and everything to some, you know, gods and goddesses, but I preach unto you the unknown God, which is the one true God. And then he said in there, God commandeth all men to repent. He commands it. And we talked about that earlier in, in this thing. You say, but they're dead. But they're still responsible. Because God didn't do anything wrong to people. He wasn't, he wasn't at fault. It's we who sinned against God. So there's nothing unfair or mean or cruel about God. And I will add this to you, going back to your point too, is that the lost people out there, there's, how many lost people are walking around saying, Oh, man, I wish God would have called me. I'd love to get saved, but he didn't choose me, so I'm stuck here going, I guess I, gotta go to, I don't want to go to hell, but, you know. No, they don't, no, they're happy. They're satisfied with their sin. You don't find lost people who, you know, nobody, nobody is out there saying, oh, I wish I was one of the elect. That is really strange. Now, say, oh, I, I want to go back to just a minute. I'll get to, go back and frame that one more time, what you said. I want to hear it again. Never, never called you or never... There's a little bit of a difference there, okay? There is a general calling, but the idea of chosen, and I will say this, and we've got to look at it next week, God does choose people. And hang in there, because here's, here's the go. Well, if he chooses some people, that means he doesn't choose other people, and that'd be unfair. You keep that thought. You keep that thought. Let's find out if what, when you think that thought, if that's true. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come over here, and then I'm going to come over here. Who had their hand up over here? Yes, sir. <clears throat> ah.
Okay. You're going to have to have, I appreciate that, you're going to have to have a tough skin right here because I've got something written right here and I want to share that since you brought it up. Because here it says, we said what? God has to be active. God initiates. God chooses. Now, what you just shared is a view. I put it this way. Uh, you're right. It is true that God, because of his foreknowledge and he's all wise, he can look down the future corridors of the future and he, he knows ahead of time the person who's going to come to him and is not going to come to him. Okay? But here's, here's the thought with that. I just Please be with me here on Carl. God doesn't have to look down there to find out which person is going to receive him. The answer is none of them will. Because in this scenario, God sees in those who will receive Christ when someone does trust Christ, uh, they are elected and become uh, believers in the church. That may sound to us logical and reasonable, but that's what I was talking about. I love you, brother, but that's not found in Scripture. And here's why. Because in that situation, think about it, God is setting back, and he's watching, and he's waiting, and he's observing, but he's not really initiating anything. He's waiting to see who's going to be the one to choose Jesus. That turns this thing upside down. God's not watching. No. So if God's looking to see who's going to choose him, I say that because you're spiritually dead. He doesn't have to wait and see. Everybody's going to reject him because if God's passive and not regenerating anybody, nobody's going to trust him. He has to, that's why we say he's got to initiate. So I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to, but what I'm just trying to say is that scenario, that illustration of God looking, he knows, and he's seeing, there's still a general call. But the one who would respond, the one who does come to him, it's not for him to wait and see if they're the one that's going to choose him. No, no, no. The only one that's going to choose them is the one that he's regenerated. Okay? So that illustration is, is logical, it's reasonable, but I can't go along with it. Isaiah, you got a question. Yes, that's right. Angels are asexual. Uh, their purpose, you know, in the sense of God's procreation, uh, angels don't have children, all right? And uh, so they just have to wing it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. No, but, but that, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, that's true. Angels do not have kids. It, angels don't get married. That's why they're so happy. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yes, sir. It's all instantaneous. Yes. Right. It would, be, it would be impossible to have a person who's born again who then rejected Christ. It's, it's just not going to. That question came up before, and it's a very good question. But with the power of God, I said, yeah, once Lydia's eyes were opened, once we truly see, finally, our situation, without a doubt, we don't resist Christ. We rush to him. It's just like that glass of cold water. If you're in that situation, you've been mowing the grass, it's 90, and I set down a glass of water to you, are we going to take bets on whether or not you're going to drink that water or not? No. You're going to, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a silly comparison. But yeah, once regeneration takes place, zip, repent, receive righteousness in Christ, right there, that day. That's why some of these churches that talk about, I know, again, I'm not going to mention their name, but they're big in Vatican City. They want to talk about this thing of being born again and being saved as a, as a lifelong thing that you pursue. Well, they couldn't be further from the truth. It's 29 minutes after the hour. Anybody with a final comment or a final question? Okay, I feel, Brother Carl, I, I hope I did not offend you, sir. Okay. Anybody? Right here. 
descanso. Amen. Thank you for that personal testimony. Now, I want to close with this as my final thought, then we'll go in prayer. What I said before, as I said, we have nothing to do with being born again. We are commanded to repent and receive. But being born again, being made alive, that's something only God can do. So please, if you take anything out of this, I don't know what you've read, where you've been, but please remember, it's regeneration, repentance, Receiving of Christ, and now you're righteous and you're in Christ. You're residing in Christ. That's the biblical sequence. It has to be, it must be, the biblical sequence. All right. Let's just say, good to have you folks here. We're going to meet by God's grace next week. And uh, uh, Brother Vern, Vern Vern Jones, would you close for us in a word of prayer, sir? Amen. Thank you. Church is going to start in about 15 minutes. God bless you. You're dismissed.